56. Remember Isaiah 55 has told us that God is offering salvation. Come to the waters, anyone who thirsts, come and drink. That God is offering for people to come to Him and receive true life. Stop worrying and working and laboring for the things that are not true food and not true drink. For for God is offering something far better that your soul would truly be satisfied. And then continue to say, now forsake your ways forsake your thoughts because your thoughts are not the ways of God and your 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 ways and your your mind and all that you think is right within you is not good it's not right God's ways are high God's ways are right and so put those ways and put those thoughts aside exchange those things for the ways of God for we serve a glorious God and now in chapter 56 he continues to describe who is going to receive or experience Experience this salvation. Who is going to enjoy these covenant blessings that God is offering to the world? So that's what we'll look at then in the first eight verses of Isaiah 56 this morning. Verse 1, thus says the Lord, Keep justice and do righteousness, for soon my salvation will come and my deliverance be revealed. Blessed is the man who does this, and the son of man who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and keeps his hand from doing evil. Here is a picture. He says, here's what my people must do. Keep the covenant. Do what I've asked you to do. I think a summary is well given there at the end of verse 2. Who keeps his hand from doing evil. This has been the call that God has been giving to the people from the very beginning. If you remember in Isaiah chapter 1, when he was condemning them for his sins, he told them and said, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from before my eyes, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause. It is a call for reformation. Change your ways. Stop living according to your paths and your ways in your thinking and turn to the ways of God. And so Isaiah 56 returns to that theme. Keep justice. Do what is right. Hold fast to the covenant. Keep your hand from doing evil. His same call given to them. But notice the expression that is given as to the reason why this was declared. He says it there at the end of verse 1. For soon my deliverance will come and my or soon my salvation will come and my deliverance be revealed here is the picture change your ways because salvation is coming and think about how similar that sounds to the, when we open to the new testament when Joel the baptizer runs around saying repent why Salvation's coming. The kingdom is at hand. The Messiah is about to arrive. There's one coming after me who's far greater than me and I'm not worthy to stoop down and unloose his sandals. It's the same message. You need to repent. You need to change your ways. You need to change your life for salvation is coming. And here is Isaiah making that proclamation. Do what is right. Keep justice. Do the things that God has called you to do. Live according to the covenant. Because soon salvation is coming. 
And I think it's important then for us to keep that in our minds, that that is what the heart of obedience is about. And it is really going to be our main thought that we're going to see come out in these verse eight verses again and again, is that obedience is not about, well, God said to do it, I better do it. But you have salvation that has come. How can you not but want to accept the message, the invitation and have that salvation? Isaiah 55 says, come to the waters, come all you who thirst and receive true life. And Isaiah 56 then says, then this obedience should be then lived out in response to that coming salvation. Now that we can come to the waters, now that we can receive life, now that we can enjoy the blessings, now that we can have true food that God is offering, then enjoy those things and live in obedience. That that should change the way that we live. Salvation is supposed to be completely life-changing so that we desire to live different because God's salvation has now arrived. And we eagerly long for the consummation of that salvation when we get to be joined to God eternally. But it's supposed to change how we live now. There is something to be experienced and enjoyed. Look at what you have in Christ. And let that change how you live. And notice how that pushes into verses 3, 4, and 5 as he now extends this amazing offer. Verse 3, let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. Let's stop there for a moment and get a picture of what they're saying. If you remember... Under the Old Covenant, while foreigners and outsiders were welcome to come to God, they were not allowed to be a part of the assembly of the Lord. And so here you have this picture of them saying, like in verse 3, the foreigner has joined himself to the Lord. They've come, but don't let the foreigner say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. I can't belong to the covenant I don't have access to that. Well, I'm allowed to be in the camp if we're thinking of Old Testament terms. I'm allowed to come and belong to this general community, but I'm not allowed to be part of the assembly. I'm not allowed to be part of the worship. I'm not allowed to join myself and experience all the covenant blessings. And notice in verse 3, God says, don't let the foreigner say that anymore. Don't let the foreigner think that they're going to be separated from the privileges and blessings and covenant of God. And the same thing is even said to the eunuch and said, don't say to yourself, you have no offspring, you have no family, you have no connection, you have absolutely nothing as you join yourself to God. And it's a beautiful picture then of here is Isaiah calling for all people as Isaiah 55 says, bring everybody in, all who thirst come on in. But there is not going to be a distinction. Even the outsiders are going to experience the full blessings of God, the full covenant relationship with God. Everything that was promised to Israel goes to those who were even excluded from the covenant, even the foreigners, even the eunuchs, all those on the outside like Deuteronomy 23 describes. Now they're allowed to come in. 
which I submit to you is what the symbolism is of this whole Sabbath keeping here. Did you see that? Notice that keeps popping up in here. Three times he says that. Verse 2, who keeps the Sabbath and not profane it. Verse 4, to the eunuch, he tells him to keep my Sabbath. In verse 6, everyone who keeps my Sabbath does not profane it. Why does he keep picking that one? <laughs> right? I'm reading this going, of all the laws of Moses, why does this one keep coming up? Why not some other law? Why do you keep hammering on this one? And I think it's important to consider what the purpose of the Sabbath was. Here's a great trivia question that usually people fail on. Of what was the purpose of the Sabbath? Deuteronomy chapter 5 verses 12 through 15 tell us very clearly what the picture was. Deuteronomy 5 says... Verse 12, observe the Sabbath day and keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well with you. Now watch there in verse 15. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and the Lord your God brought you out of there from a mighty, with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Many people think the Sabbath day was, well, you know, you just got to take a day off sometimes. It's really bad to work seven days a week and God knew that. So everybody needs to have one day off. That's not the point of the Sabbath. The point of the Sabbath was remember that you were slaves in Egypt. It wasn't just simply, hey, you need a nap on Saturdays. Take day. Remember what God did for you. Remember what you were enslaved in Egypt and how God led you out by a mighty hand. Remember those plagues. Remember the parting of the Red Sea. Remember the destruction of the Egyptians. Remember all that God had done for you. And I think that the purpose of this emphasis in Isaiah 56 of talking about the eunuchs and the foreigners keeping the Sabbath. Remember, they're not allowed to do that. They're not a part of the assembly. They don't belong. They're not part of that covenant. And in fact, to say to the foreigner, keep the Sabbath, which is remember that you were slaves in Egypt, doesn't even make a lot of sense. It'd be like, well, we don't know we're slaves in Egypt. What are we remembering? So why tell them, keep the Sabbath, don't profane it? I submit to you it's probably something fairly obvious. Because it's describing full entrance into this covenant. You're not separated anymore. In fact, it is like you are a full-born Israelite that I would command you, keep the Sabbath because you were slaves in Egypt. Remember how God led you out by a mighty hand. You are not a second-class citizen. You are not on a lower rung. There is to be no difference, no distinction, nothing whatsoever. You belong equally in the covenant as God's people. Isaiah is declaring in ways that would have been understood in 700 B.C. 
But words like the Apostle Paul would say, there is no Jew, there is no Greek, there is no male, there is no female, there is no slave, there is no free, for we are all one in Christ and there is no distinction. Well, how do you say that then? Foreigners are keeping the Sabbath. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Why would they keep the Sabbath? Because they're fully in this covenant with God. They are not separated. Remember, that's what they're saying in verse 3. Don't let the foreigner who has joined himself say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. No separation. No distinction. No leaving out. That the people who are going to come in and receive the invitation offered in Isaiah 55 to come to the waters, to come and find true bread, to receive true everlasting life, will not have anything given less than the true Israel, physical Israel before. All now receive full covenant blessings. All receive full salvation. All receive everything that belongs to the covenant. And notice what belongs with that picture. Verse 4, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbath, he says, Who choose the things that please God. Who choose the things that please me. This again becomes the picture of what Isaiah 56 is all about. He is describing people who want to do what God says, who have heard the call of salvation, who recognize that salvation is being offered, that salvation is coming, and now people are responding to that salvation. People who want to do what pleases God. And so here is the picture. Here is what they will be given. At the end of verse 3, he tells the eunuch, don't say that you are a dry tree. Here's what you have. Verse 5, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Here is an amazing picture that's given. He tells the eunuch and says, don't think you have no offspring. Don't say you are a dry tree, that you have no family, that you will always be an outsider. He says, I will give you something better than sons and daughters. I'm going to give you a name. I'm going to give you a monument. I'm going to give you in my house and within my walls this everlasting name that will never be cut off. I'm giving you something greater than family. I'm giving you something greater than the physical. I'm allowing you to belong to the family of God. And to experience all that belongs to the covenant and all of its blessings with all of its privileges. And I want you to hear something very powerful, something very strong that God is saying in this. He is saying that the family that is in this covenant is better and greater than any physical family you could ever wish you could have. Eunuch, don't say you are a dry tree, you have no offspring, you have no family, you have nothing. You have something better than sons and daughters. You have the family of God. You have covenant blessings within God's family. 
Does that not cause us to hear the words of Jesus when you have people coming to Him and saying, Behold, uh, your, your, your mother and your brothers are over there and they want to speak to you. And, and Jesus says, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out His hand toward His disciples, He said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Jesus is echoing Isaiah 56. Here's that very picture. Who are the ones who have the new family? Jesus said, whoever does the will of my father. What did he describe here? Those who choose the things that please God. I will give you a name, a monument that is greater than these children that would be physical. You belong to something greater. You belong to something better. Which means we need to consider the family of God on that level. For Jesus to say to the crowds, who is my mother and who are my brothers and sisters? And not point to his mother and his brothers that are standing there and say, it's all of you who obey me is radical and powerful. And it should cause us to change the way we think about each other. That he is saying here that the outsiders, the Gentiles, the foreigners, the eunuchs, when they come into this covenant that's being offered because of the suffering servants of Isaiah 53, you will experience covenant, belong to the kingdom of God, be citizens of heaven and belong to all that comes with that and be united with full blessing, full participation as children of God. And that we are that family. That we are to be that with each other. That the bond that we share in Christ is to be greater than the bonds that we feel to our physical family. Who is my mother? Who are my brothers and sisters? And he says, it is all of you. And we must look at each other in that lens. What a great commitment that we have toward each other, that we belong to each other as fathers and mothers, as brothers and sisters, as sons and daughters, that we are that void. Think about the truth of how that played out in those societies and still even plays out today where becoming a Christian will mean to many and mean to some. They will lose physical family. They will suffer that kind of rejection. They will lose all of their ties to brothers, sisters, family members, friends, relationships. And here is this picture where God is making a promise and saying, but you are not a dry tree. It's not that you have nothing. You may lose that, but I am giving you something greater than sons and daughters. I'm giving you family in the Lord. I'm giving you a glorious family that really cannot be quantified or described. An eternal family that stands as an eternal monument and glorifies the wonderful name of God. You know, the scriptures use that concept a lot. 
For the sake of time, I didn't throw a bunch up there. I just went with one of them. But it happens quite a few times in Revelation 2 and 3. Which think about what the context of Revelation 2 and 3 is. Is that Christians are dying for the cause of Christ. They are losing their lives. They are losing their family. They are suffering physically. And yet you have a message like in Revelation 3.12. To the one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, New Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. Notice the two things tied together. God says, I'm going to give you my name and this name of the city of God, New Jerusalem, which is the people of God. You're with God, full relationship, full blessings, and you are joined to New Jerusalem, my family, my people, my kingdom. And this was their confidence. And a word to churches and telling them, you are going to suffer for the cause of Christ, and you will go through the tribulation. He says, but guess what? You have a greater family, and you have a greater name, because you're tied to something far more important than whatever could be offered to you in this earth. And so to the foreigners and to the eunuchs, he gives a wonderful blessing and says, choose the things that please me, hold fast to my covenant, and look at what you will receive. Look at the privileges that you are going to enjoy. In fact, he wants to tell us about those things in verse 6. Who enjoys these great privileges of belonging to God and having this monument and greater name and greater blessing? Verse 6, and the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord to minister to Him, to To love the name of the Lord, to be His servants, everyone who keeps the Sabbath and does not profane it and holds fast to my covenant. Just stop there. Notice this big list that he just gave there in verse 6 of describing what these people look like. Here are the people. They're going to attach themselves to the Lord. They're going to minister to the Lord. They're going to love the name of the Lord. They're going to want to be servants of the Lord. They're going to keep the Sabbath. They're going to remember what God has done for them. They're not going to profane it. They're going to hold firmly to the covenant. Is what Isaiah doing here saying, okay, now as long as you do these six things, this is how you know you belong. So here's your list of minimums. Here's your duty. Right? Here's your obligation. No. This is what people of the covenant want to do. This is what he is describing. Those who receive the salvation, those who receive the invitation to come and have life, to have true food and true drink, to be able to forsake their ways and adopt God's ways and experience the covenant blessings that come of that, here's just what they do. They want to be attached to the Lord. They love the name of the Lord. They want to serve the Lord. They want to work as ministers of the Lord. They want to keep the things that God has said. They want to hold to the covenant. It was not Isaiah coming along and saying, now do these six things and you're assuredly in. But saying, those who belong desire it. This is the characteristics of people who are enjoying these covenant blessings and belong to the covenant family of God and have received the salvation. 
is that they enjoy doing these things. These are the ones who will experience the salvation of our God. And notice the result. Verse 7. These, these who? Who join themselves to the Lord, minister to the Lord, love the name of the Lord, are servants of the Lord, who keep the Sabbath and do not profane it and hold fast to the covenant of the Lord. These, these things, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar, for my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. This verse is glorious. To those who are loving God, to those who want to be His servants, to those who are holding fast to the covenant, who are attaching themselves to the Lord, who want to keep the words of God. Here is what God says He's doing in verse 7. I bring them to my holy mountain. You're part of the covenant. We'll read about that in just a minute. This is Isaiah 2, ringing in the ears of belonging to the covenant that God has made, to belong to His kingdom, to receive all that God is offering, to belong to Him. And so here is the picture. You will belong and be brought to the God's holy mountain. And notice verse 7, Make them joyful in my house of prayer. God says... My people will enjoy coming to me and worshiping me. They're going to enjoy giving their sacrifices and their offerings, as the middle of verse 7 says. They're going to be accepted by God. Here is this picture of them coming to the Lord and the people of God will enjoy doing that. They will enjoy coming to worship. They will enjoy belonging to Him. They will enjoy serving Him. They will enjoy ministering to Him. They will enjoy joining themselves to Him. They will enjoy holding fast to the covenant. This will be their delight. They will enjoy it. And notice the explanation why at the end of verse 7. For, explanation, here's a reason. For, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all peoples. This is interesting. This is amazing. You know what God calls His house? Notice the description is they're going to come to me. They're going to worship. They're going to enjoy the covenant. They're going to want to come to my mountain. They're going to enjoy all of these things because my house is called a house of prayer. It is not the house of pain. It's not the house of duty. It's not the house of obligation. It is not the house of suffering. It is people who want to commune with God. People who enjoy fellowship with Him. It will be called the house of prayer. Because people will want to enjoy the Lord. They will want to talk to Him. They will want to know about Him. They will enjoy communing with Him. This is the picture that Isaiah is bubbling up at the top and saying, here's why they will come to the, my mountain. Here's why they will enjoy all that I am offering. 
Because it's a house of prayer. It is the opportunity to join ourselves to God, which is what Isaiah 55 was promising in the staggering invitation of life and waters and satisfaction. He even says the word in verse 3 of Isaiah 55, incline your ear and come to me. Come to me. You get to come to God. You get access to God. And Isaiah 56 is picturing people who did not have such access. They could not enjoy this fellowship. They were the outsiders. This is why Ephesians and Galatians, why why Paul and Romans would have to write all these things. You were on the outside. Now you've come near. Now you have all of these privileges and those who are enjoying that they're going to experience it and want it. Because it's not the house of pain. It's not the house of obligation. It's the house of prayer. It's the place where people will desire to come and experience God. Isaiah 2 said that. Isaiah 2, verse 2. It shall come to pass in the last days. When you hear those words, Messianic, when Christ comes, here's what's going to happen. It shall come to pass in the last days that the mountain of the house of the Lord. Here, Isaiah 56 right there. Here's our mountain. Here's the house of the Lord. Shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be lifted up above the hills. And all the nations shall flow to it and many peoples will come. And here's what they will say. I guess we have to go to the mountain because, boy, that's what God demands of us. I guess one more time we will go into our obligation. What are they saying? They're saying, come, let's go to the house of the Lord. The people are going to say, we want to go up to the house of the Lord. Let us go up to the mountain. We want to experience God. We want to enjoy all that he has to offer. Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of God, Jacob, that he may teach us his ways and that we may walk in his paths. We want to come to the house. We want to come to the mountain because we want God to teach us his ways and paths. Which is what Isaiah 55 said. Learn the ways of the Lord and forsake your old paths and forsake your old ways and forsake your your way of thinking. Because God's ways are higher and God's ways are better. And his people will want to do it. They will desire it. And they will see coming to God as coming to the house of prayer. They will say, what a privilege it is that we can have a relationship with God where we can sing to God, we can pray to God, we can remember our Lord. And as Isaiah 56 and verse 7 is describing there, and they will be accepted by our God. That God will receive prayer. He will hear our words and respond. That He will hear our singing and it be acceptable to Him. That we will remember His Son and it will be pleasing to the Lord. That this would be our joy and it would become an even greater delight because God receives it. 
that God accepts these things. The house of the Lord would be called the house of prayer because people will desire to seek the Lord. They will desire to have fellowship with the Lord. They will desire to worship the Lord and they will desire to converse with the Lord. I would just like for you to consider for a moment if worship is considered to us the house of pain, the house of obligation, the house of suffering, I submit to you there is something wrong and that we have not received the invitation of Isaiah 55 at all. If our perception of prayer is of duty and obligation, if our perception of the Word of God is, well, I guess we have to learn some more today, and if our perception of the remembering of our Lord who died on the cross is something that must be done, we have not understood what God has done, and we have not received the invitation of Isaiah 55. Because Isaiah says His people will delight in it. His people will desire it. They will with joy come before me that the Lord says in verse seven, I will make them joyful in my house of prayer is what he says. That this would become our delight. And you might recognize that verse seven is quoted by Jesus. There in verse seven, for my house shall be called a house of prayer. For all the peoples. Jesus quotes that when he comes into the temple and he overturns the money changers' tables and moves the chairs of those who were selling animals and drives them out of that temple complex. And he quotes this in those three places where that's recorded. He quotes Isaiah 56 right here. And think about the impact of what Isaiah 56 is saying. And what Jesus is declaring there at that moment. Because here are the Jewish leaders who have turned the place of joy, the place where people should desire to come up and pray to God and worship God and sing to God and enjoy the Lord. These religious leaders have turned it into a burden and they've turned it into a mess so much that they're hindering people from coming. Now, instead of being able just to come to the Lord and worship, you had to buy their animals. Your animal's not good enough. Oh, and of course, their animal, it costs a lot more than what you had. And oh, there's a fee. We can't use your money. We're going to have to exchange that money into a money that's acceptable to us. And then that money will be bought for this animal because, you know, your animal isn't going to cut it to come into here. Notice what Isaiah is saying. My house will be the house of prayer for who? All peoples. Everybody's supposed to be coming in. And the leaders were hindering that. They were stopping that with all of that nonsense, all of that marketplace nonsense that they're doing at that moment. They're keeping people from enjoying worshiping God. And he's saying this cannot be, and he drives them out. And it reminds us then, friends, As verse 8 says, that God has opened the door for all people. Verse 8, the Lord God who gathers the outcasts of Israel declares, I will gather yet others to him besides those gathered already. And God is still calling the outcasts. 
God is still calling people to Himself to enjoy the mountain of the Lord, to enjoy worshiping Him, to enjoy praying to Him, to enjoy fellowship with Him. The call is still out there. And it is our job, one, to never hinder people from that, that we would make opportunities for them to come and enjoy this wonderful relationship that we are experiencing. And this is why we see the zeal of the Lord consuming Christ as He overturns the tables there. Because they are keeping people out and making it a burden rather than coming and enjoying the worship that was offered to them. This was to be a delight. This was to be a joy. This was to be an exciting thing that His people would be able to do. It's a reminder to us, friends, That let us not hinder people simply because they may wear different clothes than us. They might act strange, smell funny, look bad, have different ideas, vote differently, look differently, have different values, come from different cultures. Whatever it is that we often will sometimes do consciously or subconsciously to consider I shouldn't share the gospel with that person. God was making his house a house of prayer for all peoples. Everybody's invited in. And let no one say that they are separated from God. God took all of those obstacles down and said, Now everybody has full access into this glorious covenant. Everybody can enjoy being the full family with no distinction, no difference, no inequality whatsoever. And we must reflect that then to the world. We must reflect that love. We must reflect that family. That we love serving God. And we love belonging to this family of God. And share that good news to everybody else. And tell them what a wonderful joy it is to worship God. To pray to our God. To learn of our God. To sing about our God. To remember our God. To meditate on our God. Because there's nothing better. And that this family is the highest family that I have. And I am committed to every one of you more than any physical family I could ever have. For we are joined together by something greater than physical blood. We are joined together by the blood of Jesus. Pour your song books out. Let's sing an invitation song. We invite you to come to Jesus, to come to the family of God, to experience salvation, to experience the joy that God is offering to the world, to all peoples, that coming to Him and worshiping Him and enjoying fellowship with Him, it's a pleasure. It's a joy, it's a delight. If you will give yourself to Him with all of your heart, if you will turn your heart to Him, And turn away from your sinful ways and sinful thoughts. To repent of those things for salvation has come. And you can experience that great salvation today. To repent of your sins and be immersed in water for the forgiveness of your sins. And in doing so, their sins are taken away. The hope of eternal life is granted to you. And you enter into the covenant of God. Into the kingdom of God. And into the family of God with an everlasting name, a monument that stands as the mountain of the Lord forever.
Will you come and experience today? Won't you come now while we stand and while we sing?